This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. See you all hanging out with the lovely Mary Boulay. Hello, Mary Boulay. Richie Ote is off in uh, wedding land and uh, not his own wedding. Uh, his buddy's getting married, and that's a whole big little shindig thingy that's going on like for, I don't know, it's like a four-day celebration. Uh, so good congratulations to uh, Richie's friend, Woov, who some of you guys might know from uh, P.O.D. Actually, we had uh, Woov in studio mm-hmm. a couple years back, and I'm such a loon. I-, I had no idea who he was. Like, I, I had no idea. And then I went out, and he was like, you you never heard of that band? I'm like, no, not really. And then, of course, I went out and I looked up all the songs. I was like, oh, I know a lot of their songs. So, oh, cool. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, congrats to his buddy, Woof, who's uh, getting married there. And we'll see Richie again here really, really soon. Uh, White Way's holding it down in the studio. Kelly's got it back home. And uh, we got a very special guest who will be joining us today uh, as well. But for those of you who have been... Joining us live, well, thank you for doing so. Don't forget we do broadcast live every Thursday from 12 until 2 Pacific, uh, which would be 3 p.m. Eastern for those keeping count. And uh, you can catch that feed at reinventionradio.com. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast edition, well, awesome. Glad you are listening to that edition. And uh, please take a moment to rate and review and subscribe to the show if you have not yet done so. Uh, and we do read off uh, a lot of those reviews. So we'd, uh, we'd love to feature you on a future episode as well. So leave a review, and, uh, and we'll be happy to read it off on a future episode. Uh, so today's show is uh, going to be interesting. You know, I, uh, as, as I've often said here, you just, you just never know what somebody is battling with and uh you just never know their story and what they've had to endure uh to get to this point so i'm, I'm hoping uh that we can get our, our guest on and i'm hoping the the line will be clear enough because uh, i think she may have been on the road uh but we'll bring her on here actually wait can we bring uh can we bring our guest on now uh maybe in a second or two okay still Working things through. Yes, we're working on it. We're getting there. She's yeah. The connection is getting better by the moment. <laughs> She's getting out of the dead zone, and then we'll uh, we'll be able to connect with her here in a second. But you know, it's uh, it's interesting. Have you ever listened to the uh, Tim Ferriss podcast, Margulay? You ever heard? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I can honestly say I've never listened to a full episode, but I've uh, kind of skimmed through them. And uh, one of the things that uh, that he does say, uh, and I believe in this as well, is that everyone is in fact fighting a battle that you know nothing about. You and, never know uh, what's going on in someone else's world. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, uh, Especially and so our, today. So our guest today, um, once she clears out of that zone and we can bring her on, uh, she's had a pretty interesting go there. And, uh, and I know we got, we got a little bit of the echo on it, Wade, but we'll make it work there. So let, let's actually bring on today's guest. Uh, El Tavez, are you there? I'm here. Hey, Steve. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. So before we go too far down the path, and I don't completely butcher your name throughout the entire interview, how, how do you pronounce your first last <laughs> name? Yeah, It's Altavis Pelzer. Altavis. Okay, I was close. I was, yeah. I was pretty pretty much in the same ballpark. 
All right. Yes. So you are. Where are you calling in from today? Where Where are you joining us from? I'm calling in from Maryland, Elton, Maryland. In Maryland, awesome. All right, now let's let's jump straight into it because we got a limited amount of time here with you, and we want to make sure that we uh, get to as much of of your story as we possibly can during our time together. And uh, and certainly your story is one that uh, needs to be shared, and, and I know will be very uh, inspiring for for so many, just given everything that you've had to endure, and just uh, and you know, Mary and I were actually talking about you a little bit. Maybe your ears were. We're ringing there, but uh, you know one of the things that that uh, I remember most about you, and you came to the the new media summit, and it was great to to meet you there. But one of the things that uh, that I remember most about you, and Mary certainly remembers most about you, uh, is just that ear to ear grin of yours. You know, I mean, just such a just a huge smile and such a lovely, lovely, lovely presence, and uh, and one would never know of what you've had to uh, endure to get to this point in your life. So why don't, why don't you take us back uh, a bit, uh, you know, to, well, whatever you think is uh, is most important for folks to know at this point. And then, of course, we'll, we'll jump straight into the work that you're doing now. But, but take us back to uh, some of those pivotal moments in your life. Well, I can say that you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the smile because that's been something that's been a staple for me. Um, giggles, smiles, laughter, unicorns, it kind of all fits together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so in 2009, I found out that my two daughters had been molested. That was a complete blow to everything that was, you know, anything enjoyable, anything, any thought process of happiness and and smiles and giggles was all wiped away Mm -hmm. in that one moment, in that one instance of finding out. And how I found out was literally my oldest daughter, I had made it a habit of asking them how their weekend went. And she started to inform me that, you know, her, her, that something had happened and that, you know, the person couldn't be at, you know, their stepfather's house, their stepfather, their father's house anymore. And this whole thing had transpired. Not once was I called or anything of the, of the sort, but it opened up some really big wounds for me because at that point, no one had known that I had been molested as a child. Mm-hmm. And so imagine getting this blow and feeling like, oh, my goodness, I didn't protect my child. Oh, my goodness, what could I have done better? Immediately we go into this mindset of I'm, I should have done something. I should have known something. I, I, I should have been there. Mm-hmm. And that mindset just kind of threw me. And it wasn't until fast forward 2015 that I was having a conversation with my oldest daughter about trust that I kind of blurted it out that I had been molested to. Mm-hmm. And it was like, at that moment, it couldn't, it couldn't be brought back. It couldn't be, I couldn't grab it out the air. We know we all had those moments where we wish we could just kind of grab the words out the air before mm-hmm. they hit the ears of the person that we're speaking to yeah. or the text message that we send. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> we, yeah. we wish that it would, but it doesn't. And so I had already put it out there, had blurted it out, and we kind of sat in this silent moment where she was holding my hand and tears are streaming down her face and tears are streaming down my face, and she just kind of held my hand for a moment, and we didn't say anything. And then she hugged me, and then we had an opportunity to talk. 
Now, fast forward again, I asked her a question. I said, what was your most proud moment in me? And at this point, I had the books published. I had at least two books with the third one coming out. I was a certified life coach. I was well on my way to building my business. And her most proud moment was of me telling her that I had been molested. Mm-hmm. Because it opened up a doorway in allowing her to understand that she had she wasn't alone. Yeah. All right. So she hold on. By I gotta, I gotta, we, just just to make sure we're we're clear here, I just got to back up for two seconds. All right. So, two thousand nine, yeah. you're having a conversation. Uh, your your daughters come home from a visit with your ex husband. Is that correct? So you're. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how old were how old were your daughters at the time? Three and five. Whoa. So in 2009, they were three and five. Mm-hmm. And someone else alerted you to this have happened? Having had happened? No, it was the conversation with my daughter uh, telling me that the person that did it could no longer be at their dad's house. Oh. Okay, and so this, was, this wasn't your ex. This wasn't your ex husband. This was a this was a friend of. No, at the he no, it was you know it wasn't him that did it. No, it, it was okay. uh, actually his stepson. Oh, okay. So it was his stepson that, and how did, mm-hmm. how did, well, did your ex-husband know about this? Yes. He did know after you told him or the girls told him or how, what? He knew before I knew. He, so. And he didn't inform you? No. So he knew that this took place, uh, didn't tell you, just sent the girls home, just said, hey, you got to come and pick up your daughter's. And didn't say anything to you? No. Mm-hmm. And, and it, how the weekend went, it was literally, they went on Friday. I got the phone call Friday. He was kind of frantic and said, I might have to bring the girls, I might have to bring the kids, I have three. I might have to bring them home, and, you know, I'll call you back and let you know. Well, that was the only call that I got. I never got any other call saying I have to bring him home. So when I called back, he said, oh, no, everything's fine. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe something happened at work. He had to go in. Mm-hmm. Any number of things can pop through your head. Mm-hmm. And that was what I found out on Sunday. That, that call was on Friday. They came home Sunday, and that was when I had that conversation. And, and how old was the, uh, the stepson at the time? He was either 13 or 14. He was 13 or 14. Okay. And, mm-hmm. I mean, not to get too graphic here, but, I mean, it was obviously um, sexual abuse of... Yeah. Uh, uh, their father walked in on... He had my oldest daughter on his lap with his pants down. Mm-hmm. But there was no penetration. Okay. And this is... And they were three and five at the time... Mm-hmm. And so, needless to say, you, uh, I mean, once the girls came home, you found out that this happened. Did you, well, not needless to say, I guess, the, did you press any sort of charges? Did you, what What happened after you found out that this, this took place? And, and was that the first time that it had taken place? Or was this something that happened every time they went over to your ex-husband's house? So I found out later on down the line that this had been going on for for some time. It was not the first time. So it, it was not an isolated it was caught. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I did call the police. I did, you know, go and 
uh, go through the whole process, which is a very grueling process when you think about um, anybody, someone who's going through a rape, anybody who's going through abuse. It's a very grueling process. It's not a process that you just kind of can breeze through. Mm -hmm. And so imagine I found out in the morning and this whole process took the whole day. Mm -hmm. I didn't get back home until that evening. So from calling the police, having the police come out, then they have to sit and talk to it. And in the beginning, I thought it was just my oldest daughter. And so it wasn't until after the police came and talked to talked to my oldest daughter and then talked to uh, my youngest daughter uh, that we found out that it was both. Mm-hmm. So now it went from one to two. So now I have to go all the way from, from that point to now going to the hospital because they have to do a kit. Hmm. You sit at the hospital, we're in the hallway, you know, we're waiting for the doctor to come out and say what's going on. I have to talk to social services, I have to talk to the police. And literally when the doctors came out and said that, you know, yes, that, you know, they they did believe the story that she was saying. And um, literally the officers that were standing there had to walk away. And the officer, she said, you know, I had to, she apologized to me. She said, I had to walk away because I have a daughter. Yeah. Were any charges brought against the the boy? Yes. And see, again, that's where my smile comes in because I, I don't do things the way other people do things. I don't think the way other people think. So I did not want him to go to jail because we did find out that he had been molested as well. Yikes. And so, so that was 2000. That my focus was get help. And how's he doing today? Just graduated college. Mm-hmm. So that was so that okay. was 2000. So that was 2009. Three and five. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, and you had your own personal difficulties, right? So you had so you had three children. Oh yeah. yeah so you had, so you had three children. Right, so you had the two girls, and you also had a, a son. Then I assume. Mm-hmm. My son is the oldest. Yeah, your son's mm-hmm. the oldest. Okay, and and you actually ended up homeless, right? I, I mean, like literally homeless. Is that yes. I, yeah. yes. So take us through what what led to to being homeless. Like, how how does that happen? I mean, you're you're a bright woman. You're articulate. Obviously, you've got three kids, and you're going to do whatever you've got to do to take care of them. How how does a woman like yourself end up homeless? And, you know, I, it's funny because I, I just started the process of working with my newest book, and it was something that I put in there. And when I put it on paper, I felt like, ouch. We, we get to this moment where we kind of use our story, we use what we've been through as a crutch. And we get complacent. We get comfortable. And so I was comfortable in receiving child support, and I was comfortable in working a job where I was still living. Even though I was working full-time, I was living paycheck to paycheck and could still barely pay the bills. I was comfortable in it, and I didn't want to get out. Were you homeless with your children? Not I didn't. Yes. Um, In the beginning of December 31st of 2015, 
Uh, and mind you, I had struggled to get the money together to be able to not be evicted and was still evicted because the day that I went to put the money into my landlord's account at the bank, the account was closed. Mm-hmm. And I later found out that he had already sold the house. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So in that same year, this was this was the year that you revealed to to your children that you were also molested, mm-hmm. right? So 2015 was a really difficult year, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. Although I guess it probably would have been freeing to some extent to share what had happened to you. Did now your molestation? Did that take place once? Was that over a period of time? Who 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 did that? It was a short period of time when I wasn't living with my mother. I was staying with um, a family member, and we were at a family friend's house. It was. It only happened the one time. It only happened the one time. Okay. And so, mm-hmm. let me just and and again, I apologize if this is getting down too sensitive of a road here. Oh no, but, you're fine. Um, but what I'm trying to understand is what what is the difference between being molested and being raped? I mean, isn't that kind of one and the same and is that is that what happened to you like i'm just trying to understand so the molestation is um inappropriate touching fondling uh Mm -hmm. it can be manipulation of the private area Mm -hmm. um that would be the molestation part it didn't get the next stage is rape when there's the penetration I got you. And what you experienced was molestation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I mean, we've we've met, and you know, I, I think of you in in the sense of of being, you know, a strong, powerful woman. I mean, and how does something like that happen to a strong, powerful woman? I mean, obviously, we're seeing so much of that nowadays. But how do you think it happened to you? Like, what what transpired there? So that- at the time, it was. I, it happened when I was a child, but at that time, I, was, I wasn't I was living with my mom. My mom was, you know, she was a single mother, but she was going to school, finishing her degree. And I had very low self-esteem. Okay, so you, I'm sorry then. you So you were, you, I forgot about that. I'm sorry. You, you were yeah, much I younger. Was still, yeah, I was still a child. I, I, I was I'm younger. sorry. Yeah, how, so, and how old were you but, when that took but place? But even still, even th- when you think about it, in the it still translates to those who are women, who are adults, who are going through abuse and domestic violence, and they're going through rape and things of that nature. It's yeah. a it's a mental piece first, more than anything else, because physically I can be able to uh, you know defend myself. Physically I can be able to push you off. Physically I can punch you in the face and bite your finger. Like physically there's so many things that I can do, but mentally that can be mm-hmm. the thing that holds me back. Yeah. How and I'm so sorry. So it's always what's that mental thing. And and how how old were you when it when it took place? I was 7. You were 7. Jeez. So it must Elementary have brought school. Mm-hmm. I can I mean the the flood of emotion you must have felt then. When exactly when your, when your daughters mm-hmm. told you about what happened, knowing that you were you know right around the same general age when that had happened to you, that I mean I can only imagine what what was that flood of emotion like for you when they shared that with you, knowing that you had been through that. It was painful. It was 
that was why it was that fear of, and I, I went straight into blaming myself. Mm-hmm. If I had told somebody, then maybe I could have stopped this. If I had ever, you know, if I had, you know, told somebody, anybody, maybe this wouldn't happen, even though the two were not related. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, what happened to them, what happened to me, it, it wouldn't have necessarily stopped what happened. But it's just, I went into an immediate blame game. I went into depression. I went into, um, I lost a lot of weight and mm-hmm. uh, my family had an intervention. And it, it, it was bananas because mm-hmm. they had an intervention because they thought I was on drugs. Did you, did but you first go over to, did you go over to your ex-husband's house after you found out that he knew for two full days and didn't tell you until the, I the did girl, not. I would go over there and sock him in the face. Mm. Seriously. And, and you know what? And that was the thing. It was like, immediately I was just like, I just need to make sure that they're okay. Of I didn't course. even think to go. Now, family members, on the other hand, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. just be honest. Let's be real. Yeah. I'm from Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, born and raised. Listen. <laughs> yeah, I get <laughs> let's it. Let's be real. Yeah. Yikes. Family so- members were ready. Yeah, they were they were there outside the house and, and everything else. But as for me, no, I, I everything was just a focus of what do I do now? You know, how do I move forward? What what am I going to need for them? Because that process again is is difficult. After even after the doctors, you know, being at the hospital, we still had to go to special victims unit, and they still had to sit and talk to detectives. Mm-hmm. At the special victims unit. And that's why I said we didn't get home until later. And then after that, you still had another process. We had court school so they could learn how to sit in court and what kind of questions would be asked of them and who would be in the courtroom. And we still had therapy sessions. We still had all of these other things that still had to, you know, go through. Mm -hmm. I couldn't break down. I couldn't have my moment of being vulnerable. I couldn't have my moment of oh, my goodness, this happened to me at that moment because it was, i got to get them through this. So then after 2015, bring us up to date on what your turning point was, when you started writing books, what was your inspiration? How you got a home? Yeah. <laughs> you, exactly. I mean, we can't just be like, ah, oh, me and my three kids are homeless, and here's my life now. Like, no, oh my we, we, what's, what, what, what's the bridge there, right? Crazy, right? So 2015 is when I have the conversation with my daughter. Yeah. I decide I'm going to finally write this book that I had been saying I was going to write for years and years and years and had been playing, starting and stopping. So I'm finally going to write it. December 31st, I'm evicted. January 1st, I have a, a trip that I'm supposed to be taking, and I, I have a decision to make. And here lies the reinvention. I have a decision to make. Do I go ahead and stay home and, and just focus on the circumstances that are going on in my life at the moment? Do I focus on the pain? Do I focus on the fear? Do I focus on, oh, my goodness, you messed up again. You messed up. Or do I say, okay, let me take this trip, and then when I come back, I'll handle that. Mm-hmm. And so I took the, the flight. And I, I get on the first flight. Everything's fine. Uh, my second flight, my ticket doesn't have anything on it. So I go over to the booth, I, you know, let them know. They said, it's okay, go in with group two. They call group two. I, well, I'm in line to go in with group two, and I hear my name called. So I get out the line, I go back to the booth, and she hands me a first-class ticket. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. If that's not motivation to keep moving, even in the midst of everything, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, so during during this trip, this is the trip you went on, obviously by yourself. So the kids. You put them with a mm-hmm. with a friend or a family member or something. Yeah, like we were or... staying with we were staying with a family friend. Okay. Um, their two bedroom apartment. My girls were in one room. My son and I were sleeping in the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, they call it tr- transitional home housing, but just you know, so they they didn't have to miss school or change what school they were going to or anything of the sort. And remember, I had the money to pay for. Us mm-hmm. not to be evicted. So I had the money for us to move, but now I just had to wait for somewhere to, to open up. Yeah. And I so it was, you know, in February, I knew that in March we were going to be moving into our new place. It mm-hmm. was it was no problem. I, you know, handed them. I actually paid for it was, uh, an apartment. I paid for, like, uh, four months up front. Mm-hmm. So, and was fine. So take us into then the the current work because now now you you work with women, right, mm-hmm. and help them shift from what I believe you call from abuse to applause, correct? Yes. So yes. so just give and us an so, understanding of your of, of what you're doing now. So in that moment that I had the conversation with my daughter, when I asked her what was her most proud moment of me, she said it was that moment because she decided she was able to see that she wasn't alone. And I said in that moment, so is me having this conversation with a teenage girl allows her to understand that she's not alone. And me having this conversation with a grown woman, what would it do for her? Mm-hmm. How will it open up her future? How will it change her legacy? And I said, okay, so I got to step out of myself. I, 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 I'm, I'm an introvert. You couldn't tell if you if you see me mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm at an event, mm-hmm. but you know I go and and I talk to women. I go live and talk to women. I do events and talk to women. My books is all about talking to them to help them to define their voice and whatever it is that they went through. I help them through that so that way they can use that as a, a springboard. They can use it as a stepping stone instead of it being their stumbling block. And so, for an example, is I have one client who she is legally blind. She's visually impaired. She's legally blind. And her thing uh, is, you know, the world looks different when, you know, you're visually impaired. And when people think of legally blind, they think that you can't see anything. No, that's not necessarily true. It's just that your, your sight isn't of a certain standard, so they consider you, you know, legally blind. And her fear factor was, I, I, I can't do it. I, I, don't, I can't tell my story. I can't get in front of people. I, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, make this work. And so through courses with me, through accountability camp, uh, groups with me, she was able to move from that fear to writing out her story to she just went uh, and received an award and is now an award-winning speaker. And it was that process because it is a process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I do for women. And, and so g- give us an understanding then of, I mean, there's, a, there's obviously a lot of, uh, of 
well, women specifically and men too, who work with uh, women as their as their clients. What what is it that you do? I mean, obviously, your background is is unique for sure. Um, and and you know, look, we I believe that we are certainly uh, as uh, as human beings here. I think that we're naturally wired to help those who have. Uh, either experienced what it is that we've experienced and have overcome uh, or who have the, shall we say, are at risk for experiencing something that we've had to deal with in our lives. So from that standpoint, it makes you uniquely qualified. Do you do you work specifically then with, is, is this what makes what you do unique? You specifically work with women who have experienced abuse? And, and, and then if so... Uh, what what do you actually like? What is your process like? How how would you work differently with a woman who has been abused versus one who who hasn't? So the woman that has been abused often is a people person, a people pleaser. They're the yes person. So when I take them through that whole process of define, accept, and use your unique voice, it's literally that's the process. You have to define what your voice is how strong your voice is, you know, when we think about somebody who's singing, you got to determine how high you can go. Are you an alto? Are you a soprano? Are you a tenor? Are you a bass? You know, you have to determine exactly where you are right now, what you already hold, what you already have, the wisdom you already, you know, have on the inside of you. You have to define that first. And a lot of times the women that have gone through abuse, they can't define that because they they kind of have it buried under, they said I wasn't good enough. They said I couldn't do it. They said. And so we have to unbury that. We have to literally go through a process. And some some women that have gone through abuse, even the abuse itself, they've buried it. And so it's that whole process of, okay, we got to talk about it. We got we to set some things up. If it goes outside of my scope, then I'll, I'll let people know, okay, well, we might need, you might need to take this a step further, and we might need to go and sit with a counselor mm-hmm. so and what, go through this process. So what is, you know, to Steve's point, how do you market yourself out to women in general? Because, you know, we always end up with the right clients. Definitely. I feel as though you definitely do. So for me, it's always, uh, I do a lot of live streaming. Okay. And I'm very transparent about what I've been through. Okay. That's the, that's the, the, that's the cornerstone of it, is being very transparent about mentally where I was, emotionally, physically where I was, being, you know, very transparent about it because that's what opens up the, uh, the doorway of conversation. That's what opens up. Let's be honest. Let's look at everything that's going on right now in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. With hashtag me too. That's when, when it's one person saying what they've been through, that hashtag me too, it's a ripple effect. Because you'll always have somebody who will say, okay, well, I went through it, but it, it was this way. Well, I, I went through it, but it, it it wasn't really like that because... For me, it was different because I knew the person. Or for me, it was this person. You know, it was my husband. It was my boyfriend. It was an uncle. It was a brother. It was, 
you know, but it hashtag me too. And when you get to that point of being comfortable and being able to share your story, believe me, the hashtag me too's will start flowing in. They start coming the same way we've seen it all across social media. They start flowing in because it's that same mindset that my daughter was able to achieve. I'm not alone. So speaking to you about your daughters, how are they doing today? And then the second question I oh, have for Oh, they're amazing. You. Oh, good. <laughs> how old are they now? <laughs> Sorry, I'm biased. <laughs> no, that's great. They are 13 and 15 amazing honor students. Um, in the arts, my oldest is currently uh, rehearsing for the musical Shrek mm-hmm. at her high school. My youngest is doing uh, improv and, and uh, uh, working on preparing for a talent show. I mean, with, it's funny because we started out the conversation with saying, you know, Steve talking about my smile, and I said, yeah, that's it's a lot with that because when everybody looks at my children, they always say they don't look like what they've been through. Hmm. And I'm happy about that. Children are resilient. Yeah. Well, so are adults. Very. Yeah, you come right down to it, right? What was your second question, Mary? My second question is, what do you see for yourself um, in your future? Like, what's your vision of how you want to grow and impact the world? So... For me, I see myself just being able to take this on a larger scale. Um, again, with everything that's been going on with the hashtag Me Too, that it again, it, it you know, it didn't reopen a wound because I had been healed from it, but it definitely made me think about it. You know how if you're on a bike and you're riding the bike and you fall and you know you do something hurt yourself and you got to get stitches or something, you get the stitches. And, you know, you move on and it can heal, but there's something that'll happen that'll make you think about those stitches again. It'll make you think about when you fell and how you felt. And so that's what has been brought up for me. And it's it's obvious that a lot of people, those who are on a higher level being in Hollywood, because we do put them on a pedestal, we see that, again, some of them have been through some of the same things that we've been through. So who's helping them get through this process? Who helped them get through this process? And how are they allowing their story to be told? Because a lot of them literally had not told anyone until this year, last year. They hadn't said anything to anybody. And so we hold on to all of this stuff trying to be successful in life. We, we can't walk around like that. It's toxic. Yeah. So would you would you do anything differently in hindsight in terms of your, your daughters and protecting them and so on? I mean, for those who, you know, knock wood, haven't had anything happen to, to their children and hopefully never will, but what advice would you give them? I mean, as you look back, would you do anything differently? Would you – how – how might you have changed things if you could? So I can say I can say uh, one thing that I would change and one thing that I, I would stay the same. So I'll start with what would stay the same, and that was the conversation. Have the conversation. Talk to your children. Uh, a lot of times as parents, we feel as though, 
you know, oh, social media has them. We feel as though, oh, you know, um, the celebrities have them. That's, that's who has their attention. Their parents have their attention. No, they're not only listening, but they're watching. Mm-hmm. Never lose sight of that. Yeah. They are always listening and watching. Never lose sight of that. And then the thing that I would change is that, and they've started to kind of shift it now, but not as much as I would like, and that's the whole stranger danger. I feel as though we really set our children up when we have a focus of stranger danger, but the reality is that most children who are molested are molested by somebody that they know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean, to to that end, what 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 advice would you give to to people? I mean, if you were sitting down right now with someone who has unfortunately had to endure that that sort of abuse, whether it's uh, you know just molestation or, or, or rape or anything of that nature, I mean, if if you were sitting down with a group of of women right now uh, who've had to endure that, what what would you tell them? First thing would be get it out of your head. Um, For some, it may be journaling. For some, it may be writing the book. For some, it may be just talking about it. But get it out of your head. Um, When we allow things to lay dormant in our head, it plays tricks on us. Because we start to second-guess ourselves. We start to question, but what if I had done this? If I had done that? And we can't get stuck in that moment. Mm -hmm. And... If you get stuck in that moment, you can't heal from that. You can't move forward. So that would be the first thing. It's it's always get it out of your head, however that means for you. Everybody's not, you know, the writer. I understand. But whatever that means for you, get it out of your head first. So that way you can move towards the next step. But that's the first step is you got to get it out of your head. Yeah. And so if people want more information uh, about you and uh, about your services, where where's the best place for them to go? So they can connect with me. Uh, if they want to talk to me, they can go to bit.ly forward slash talk to Altavise in order to get on the phone with me, get on my calendar. But also if they're just looking for some help or they just need somewhere for them to be able to vent and talk about what it is they've been through, they can send me an email at contacts at altaviscolor.com. It's confidential. Nobody else sees those emails. And again, sometimes we just need to get it out of our head first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And that's what that's for. Yeah. All right. Thank you for the work you do. Look, really, uh, really appreciate you being willing to, to share so openly and honestly with us. And, uh, and uh, boy, I mean, if it gives uh, even just one woman or, or young woman the, the courage to, to come forth and, and share what's happened in their life, then, uh, then, then obviously, um, wow, we, we've, we've done what we can do here. I mean, right. I mean, it's just, it's such a hard subject, um, to talk about and, uh, it just, man, you know, well, you know what? we have it's, to talk about it. You right. know, it's just, it has to be talked about. So and at least she's out there doing some work. And on this Thanksgiving week, we are thankful for you, Altavis, and for being willing to, to share and be vulnerable and be so open. And we wish you nothing but the best. And of course, we wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving as well. We love you. We'll talk to you next time here on reinvention radio. Take care. 
You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. You were born to do one amazing thing, but most people spend a lifetime trying to identify what it is. If you're in a job you don't like or are unemployed, if you're in a state of transition or just can't shake that nagging feeling that you were meant and made to do something extraordinary, then the Reinvention Workshop is exactly what you need. Led by award-winning self-help author Steve Olsher, the Reinvention Workshop will forever change your life. The Reinvention Workshop takes you step-by-step through Steve's proven formula that has helped so many people get on the right path and clear about what they were born to do. Take the first step to realizing the life you deserve and desire by visiting thereinventionworkshop.com today. No more delays. No more denial. Reconnect with your true self. Learn to live with purpose and conviction and become who you were born to be. The world is waiting for you. What are you waiting for? Log on to thereinventionworkshop.com today. That's the reinventionworkshop.com.